Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I'm joined by Catherine Shaneberg to discuss her book, Kabbalah of Light. Among many other topics, Catherine discusses Kabbalah as the science of letting the subconscious speak, the importance of working with images, the tradition of dreams and dreaming in the Hebrew Bible, and the necessity of going within to both heal the self and repair the world. Also, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts or subscribe to the YouTube channel. Be sure to hit that like button and notification bell. Your support is truly appreciated. Catherine Shaneberg, PhD, is an internationally renowned teacher, healer, psychologist, and dream and imagery expert. She is the lineage holder for the Kabbalah of Light as transmitted to her by Colette Aboker Muska, revered Kabbalist and teacher with whom Shaneberg spent 10 years of intense study in Jerusalem and an additional 20 years in collaboration. In 1982, she founded the School of Images dedicated to teaching the techniques of this ancient tradition the author of Kabbalah and the Power of Dreaming and Dream Birth. She conducts imagery and dreaming workshops internationally and at the nine international schools of imagery she created around the world. Kabbalah of Light is her latest book. Catherine, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much, Nick. It's Nick or Nicholas? Um, I go by Nick. Um, yeah, yeah. Either's fine. Um, uh, yeah. Shorter and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like the sound of Nicholas, but I've been Nick all my life. So, um, yeah, on on official documents, I'm always Nicholas. (laughs) Okay. So, Nick, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, well, thank you. I'm um, very happy to have this opportunity to speak with you this morning. Um, uh, I really enjoyed uh, Kabbalah of Light. Um, It's, I think, a little bit tricky for me as a host because there's so many exercises in the book. Um, it seems like that's the core. I think you've got, what was it? 159 exercises for the reader. Um, but I don't think it's impossible to have this conversation. Um, in fact, I think it's going to be a really good conversation. And I thought that we would start with Kabbalah. Um, I've had a few guests, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, we started recording this who had also written books based on Kabbalah, though from different perspectives. So one was um, grounded in the Jewish tradition. Uh, Another was from the Hermetic tradition. Uh, I also know that there's a Christian Kabbalah. And I believe your work is firmly grounded in the Jewish Kabbalistic tradition. And my understanding, the short definition is always that Kabbalah is the esoteric and mystical tradition of uh, Judaism. Uh, but I was wondering how you understand Kabbalah. Well, my tradition, my lineage comes from um, a master of the 13th century called Isaac the Blind. He wasn't blind, but he looked inside. Mm. Right? And he's the one who coined the word Kabbalah or Kabbalah, depending on what tradition you come from. Um, he coined that word and I think he coined it because the word means to receive. Mm. And we receive in a vision. We look inside and we receive a revelation or we receive a dream. 
So he had, uh, he described his visions in great detail and with a lot of color. But I think that Kabbalah existed way before the 13th century. It wasn't named, but it was the tradition that we see in the Bible with many of the, uh, the prophets that are, uh, you know, the patriarchs and the prophets that have dreams and visions and are trained in what they call the, um, the, uh, the schools of the prophets. So it, it's clearly been ongoing for more than 5,000 years, mm. this Kabbalah tradition. Um, I actually believe that the whole of, of the Bible is, is, it's a received tradition. It's, um, it, it comes from the inside. It's not something that they wrote as a story. It's something that was embodied and experienced and then put down on, on uh, scrolls. Okay. Right. Now, um, when you say Bible, are you referring to uh, just the Torah, the whole of the Hebrew Bible, or are you also referring to how most Christians would understand it as Old and New Testament? No, I'm really talking about the Hebrew Bible. Okay. The Hebrew, because, um, you know, it has a different uh, organization, it's slightly right. different from the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and it's written in Hebrew, which is essential to the understanding of Kabbalah. Okay. Because the language itself, the letters have a power. Mm -hmm. They have a form, and that form is an energetic form that acts in the world. So there's 22 energetic forms that act in the world, 22 letters of the alphabet. But they're not just alphabet, they're powers, mm. right? Okay. Um, how did you come to study uh, Kabbalah? Well, this is a dream story. Um, I have always worked with images since I was a tiny kid. Um, in fact, I would be working with images and people when I was four or five years old. Um, we had a, a homeless lady who lived across the street from us and every night I would get on the window and I would wave to her and then I would surround her with light mm. so that she would be warm. She'd have a warm blanket for the night. <laughs> so I had many, many instances like that from the beginning. The only thing that interested me was how images moved people. And so um, when I got to be, uh, you know, school was difficult because I always worked through dreams. So to do my mathematics, for example, I would put the problem under my pillow and then I would have a dream that gave me the answer. The only problem, of course, is that I had no idea how I'd gotten there. <laughs> So I was in trouble and my mother was very upset with me and always said that I was dreaming my life away. So when we got to college time, uh, I went and studied art history because I was really completely flabbergasted. I didn't know what to do with what I was doing, right? And then having done all of that, I have a number of masters <laughs> from the Sorbonne and the Louvre, uh, museum. 
I uh, kept on hearing a voice saying, go travel, go to the Middle East. So I went all over the Middle East, but not to Israel. And then that voice got very loud and said, go to Israel. Now I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't understand, but I went to Israel because I always follow my inner voice. And I got there, I was on the kibbutz during the Yom Kippur War. And uh, I was, again, completely lost. I didn't know why I was there. And that's after that war, um, some French people came to the kibbutz and sat on the lawn. And one of them talked to me about a, a woman who was the center of social French life in Jerusalem. And he pronounced her name. He said, her name is Colette. And at that moment, I had an absolute uh, epiphany. My whole head burst into light. Now, I had no idea, again, who she was, because he never said she was a teacher or a Kabbalist or anything like that. But it was so strong that I moved to Jerusalem. And after many adventures, because this man was afraid of her, and this is social uh, queen that... <laughs> Uh, I, he finally got me there. I finally got there. And I, she was sitting in the garden and I sat in front of her and she said something very frightening. She said to me, what do you want? <laughs> Horrifying. And what was so interesting to me is that out came this phrase, I want you to teach me how images move people. And she said to me, I've waited for you a long, long time. And that's how it began. <laughs> oh, wonderful. It's a wonderful story. And, yeah. and I think that um, that does connect in back to the understanding of Kabbalah, um, because at one point you write that it is the science of letting the unconscious speak. Right. I do strongly believe that. I think that the first Kabbalah is the Kabbalah of the dreamers, mm. that they walked the desert and there was nothing to hold their vision and they would, they would look inside or they would be meditating in this vast openness and visions came to them. Mm. Night visions, daytime visions. You see that in the, the Bible, you know, Jacob has a great dream. Of course, Joseph is a great dreamer. Um, Abraham has a dream, right? Well, more exactly a daytime vision, but a very powerful one. So it's, as, it's already completely part of, you know, their tradition of walking in the empty space. Uh, Abraham hears a voice saying, Lech Lecha go well where am i going to go hmm. and uh the voice says go where i will show you <laughs> and there's no showing so he just starts off into the empty space and so it starts like that when we when we look inside we have no idea what we're going to see okay. yeah and it seems to me that that's forgotten a lot, I think, with the patriarchs, especially how how much they were dreamers, you know, and receiving this information that way. Right. Well, I mean, because 
because there's another tradition in Judaism, which is in, uh, an intellectual Judaism, right? Where the rabbis after the fall of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon, the, the, the loss of the temple started to write down the oral tradition and, and became very, very specific and, so the last great um, prophecy is the prophecy of Ezekiel right. in Babylon, right? Right. Um, so it was no longer, it, it was more established, uh, like an established religion with rules and, and uh, definitions. Whereas before that, it was pure oral tradition, pure inner gazing. And as long as uh, there are no rules, people can truly explore their inside. And their inside is radical and different from everybody else's. Um, so it's not something that is easy for, for established religion to deal with. That's why it's always slightly separate. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Any kind of mystical tradition will be separate. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, they always exist on the margins, I think. Um, and I also remember that the uh, the, the ban on prophecy um, at, after the Babylonian exile, and that makes sense now to me. Um, and I hadn't really put it into that context that it was a, a an oppression of the visionary aspect of the spiritual tradition. Well, I mean, if I were in front of a very well-known rabbi, I would probably hesitate to say that, but mm. I do feel that, you know, that that's what happened. Mm. Eventually it was codified. Right. So Moses goes up the mountain and uh, encounters the divinity from the back, but mm. he encounters the divinity, he receives incredible messages. And he codifies the, the Torah, right? The, the five books of Moses and the, the Ten Commandments. But they, they were received. Mm -hmm. Kabbalah means to receive. Right. So he, to me, rising up the mountain is, is like truly an inner development that happened to him. He rose up to the very uh, pinnacle of his being and received these messages. Right, so that's a, a um, that's an inner vision, if you want. Would it be fair to say that Kabbalah is a kind of psycho spiritual practice? You mean that, that has psychological aspects to it? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, not just spiritual, but psychological too. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yes and no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it that way because the first thing that happens when you look inside is that you're going to encounter your blockages. Mm. Now think that the way that it's explained in Kabbalah is that there's a great river that comes from Eden and this river flows into manifestation. So we are a manifestation of that river. We're made of of the energetic flow and the energetic patterns and our dreams are pop-ups of that particular river, right? Mm -hmm. 
So we have to think of this, that we have three levels really to explore. The conscious mind, the subconscious, and then something that I'm gonna call the super conscious, right? So think of it as a, a great ocean, that's the subconscious. The conscious mind is linear, causal, logical, analytical, and we need it. We need it to look inside. The subconscious is that great ocean of experiencing and flowing and moving and twirling, and, right? Uh, uh, currents, undercurrents that are part of our experiencing being because we're receiving energy and experience at every moment, thousands of bits of experience. And all this is a great river or the Chinese call it a cauldron. Mm. The alchemists sometimes call it a cauldron too, mm. right? And it, it bubbles up, let's say I have a question in my mind or an anxiety, then it's gonna, uh, I'll go to sleep and I'll have a dream in which this bubbling river suddenly pops up a certain amount of images that show me the answer to my question or indicate the movements towards my question, right? So we can say that the first thing that happens is that we're gonna look at the subconscious ocean, but we're gonna see the garbage first, where it's blocked where it's not flowing, where it's not uh, moving uh, easily. And people don't like that. So there are certain techniques that help us to deal with that, that I could speak about, but people will have a nightmare and they'll be upset. Oh, I had a nightmare. Oh, thank God it's only a dream. And they put it aside. Yeah. But in fact, nightmares are the best. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I had yeah, that yeah. quote uh, down yeah. here somewhere where you said that nightmares are better than, uh, yeah, here's the exact phrase. Uh, they're more important to have a nightmare than a good dream. Exactly. Um, and I wanted to ask you, well, why? Right, because yeah. it shakes you up and it yeah. says, hey, shake, I'm shaking you up. So you realize there's something going on that's stuck here mm. that we need to deal with. The moment you take that out of the way, Wow, all suddenly opens up, the flow starts again. We're made of that flow of images. We, we need to embody that flow, right? Now, each of us in a slightly different way because we're all in different shapes and forms and have different histories, uh, dream histories that you want, family histories, right? right? I call those dream fields. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that as well, because uh, you also noted that there's different dream fields. There's like the personal dream field. There's the uh, family dream field. There's mm -hmm. cultural, national, um, and even something that is akin to uh, Carl Jung's collective unconscious. Is that correct? That there are all these sorts of different dream fields. Right. I mean, he, used, he uses the word collective unconscious. Right. I mean, to me, it's a global dream field. I don't like the word unconscious. And I explained that in the book because the moment you tell your 
your inside, it's unconscious, it's going to turn unconscious. Mm. So I use the word subconscious, which was actually a, a word penned by a French psychologist, Jenny. Um, I, I prefer that because I want the students to know that it's sub rosa. I can tap into it. Mm. It's going to respond. It's, um, you know, when you read the, the, the first uh, uh, phrases of Genesis, God hovers over the chaos. Mm -hmm. That's our conscious mind hovering over the chaos of our subconscious. Yeah. yeah the and deep, then some, right? what's that? The deep, right? It's Tehom, the yeah, deep. Te God is hovering over yeah. him. Yeah, Tehom. Yeah. The Tehom. Uh, now, um, the moment he hovers, light appears. And, and, and I'll come back to that in a moment. And then, and then forms begin to appear. So the, the waters above and the waters below and the firmament, forms appear. And that's what we do when we dream. And I have a question, I'm hovering over this question with my conscious mind has, has created a question, if you want, right? Should I stay with this boss or this job? And the subconscious kind of gathers itself and, and pops, up pops a dream that gives me either a clear answer or in a movement towards the clear answer. Now, the, the, if then I have a nightmare, um, it's really having a very, very loud um, very loudly tried to tell me um, to take a look that something's blocked. I have a, a story that always I always tell the students because it's so funny. It was a very famous professor, an old friend of mine, but he had never consulted me about this. So his wife took a a Christmas uh, a birthday present for him, and he came sat in my office, he was very nervous. And he had had a, a repetitive dream for 30 years, every night. And he'd gone to see everybody and nothing had worked. And the repetitive dream was that somebody was running after him. <clears throat> so close your eyes. So I gave him every kind of protection he could imagine, sword of light, shield of light. <laughs> whatever he needed, right? And turn around. He had never turned around. And he saw a man who was a Gestapo officer. And the Gestapo officer says to him, finally, I've been running after you for 30 years. <laughs> they had a little conversation and they agreed that it wasn't necessary anymore. Mm. And that was the end of his repetitive dream mm. fascinating very very fascinating it um uh, you said you wanted to go back to the light too yeah um, do you have anything uh, you want yeah. to add about that yeah well when you think about it and if you read genesis god hovers over the abyss the table and let there be light and there is light now where does this light come from 
There's no sun, there's no moon, there's no, there are no stars. When we look inside, it should be dark. Mm. And yet we create light. We look inside and suddenly there's a chair or a throne or a tree or, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. This is what the Kabbalists called the light of creation. It's very powerful to turn one's eyes in. I call it inner gazing. And then the, the you know, an image appears of a revelation or even just light. We are creating light in our bodies, right? This is a practical, direct way to enlightenment. Mm. Right? This is why this is a very old tradition. It's 800 years old, um, but it's always, always about inner gazing, looking in, creating more light. Mm. So with, with beginner students, we have a lot of cleaning up to do, which is the psychology of it, if you want but it soon becomes something entirely different. And very soon it's explosions of light, transformations into light, uh, dissolving of the body into light. It's very quick. Now, is this light, um, I think I know the answer, but I'm gonna ask the question anyway. Yeah. Because the, yeah. the question I wanted to ask is, was the light consciousness but it's, but I'm thinking that it's probably what you are referring to as the super consciousness. The light, yeah. Yeah. I mean, super consciousness has, has also something a little different to it, which is that um, uh, this is a completely other level of it, but we, we have, we're made of energy and that energy um, rises up in us um, naturally with uh, natural instincts. I, I want to drink. So the, the natural impulse to take and drink, um, and that's rhythmical. I'm going to want to drink, let's say, 10 times a day. Or I'll want to breathe every, every few seconds, right? And that's natural. That's an instinctual movement. But if then you say to me, Stop, Catherine. You can't drink. I'll be angry at Nick. Mm -hmm. Until my energy suddenly flows into emotion. And emotion means motion out of the body. But emotions, um, you know, there are different reasons why we have emotions. At least that's how it's described. But for me, the emotion is the, the spark that moves my energy in another direction. That's very valuable. Mm. If I can move that energy into an entirely chosen direction, I'm growing my consciousness. So to give you an example that is shown in, in the biblical stories about Joseph, Joseph was being pursued by his uh, boss's wife desperately felt, had lots of lewd thoughts about him, right? And the text says, Joseph went into the house when there was not a man in the house, which kind of suggests that he himself was not a man. He, was, he had given in to temptation. And she grabs his tunic 
So he feels completely, clearly very close to giving in to the temptation. And suddenly he moves his eyes to the window and at the window, he sees his father's face. Of course, the father is not there, he's 2000 miles away, right? He's in Egypt and the father's in Canaan. But the fact of seeing the father's face, father was the great patriarch, um, Jacob, right? And, and he adored his father. The father was his spiritual master in a way. That moved the emotion of wanting to take to one of feeling, if you want, true love. And he walked out of the house. So he had transformed the emotion into a feeling and that grows the superconscious. That's what grows the superconscious, right? So the emotions, are they part of that river that's flowing out of Eden? Yeah, absolutely. And um, is the transformation then kind of like a transformation of the blockages that we've set up? Um, yeah. That... Now, sometimes, you know, um, blockages are very serious and very difficult to get rid of it, right? But um, for me, it's easy because the blockages appear as images. <clears throat> For example, I always give that example to the students of a man who kept on dreaming about a white cow blocking the, the, the road. Mm. Well, the white cow, it was very clearly the, the, the mother. We didn't even need to say that. But the question was, how are you going to deal with this? Mm. You as a practitioner, how are you going to deal with the white cow? And they had all sorts of ideas, you know, um, uh, float up with a balloon and go over the mother, cut the mother into, cut the cow into and walk through, make an underground passage. But basically, um, we transform the image in an organic way. And the moment the image is changed, the subconscious changes its shape. And so um, the blockage that was there before dissolves because the image is no longer, no longer the central uh, blockage in front of him. This was a repetitive dream this man had. So is it fair to say that much of what you're doing in a sense uh, in this work is helping people return to the garden? return to Eden. Without a doubt. That's the whole um, arc of the work. Mm. Because in the Garden of Eden, um, Adam, the, 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 the male-female Adam, right? The mm. first Adam. Um, his light spreads to all the universe, right? He, he doesn't have a skin. It's not boundaries, it's pure light. So returning to the pure light, that's what, what it's all about. But it's also about bringing this natural flow into everyday life. So instead of being 
in difficulty or blockages or, or always angry every time somebody says this that triggers my wound. Um, I've cleared my wound and now life is much more flowing. Eventually, we want to bring the Garden of Eden into everyday life. Right, right. And this is the, um, uh, I don't, hopefully I'm not slaughtering the pronunciation here, the uh, Tikkun Olam, the um, uh, healing of the world or the correction of the world. Um, And it seems to me that what you're doing in your work is there's a personal aspect to this of helping the individual achieve like a wholeness, uh, wellness, um, but then that is also key to making the world a better place, uh, returning us to that garden. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, the way I explain it generally is, <clears throat> let's say I've had so much pain and difficulty as a child, I've become positioned this way, I'm a victim. And so my father would hit me or my father, my mother would aggress me and I was always feeling a victim. Now, as I grow older, I'm carrying this pattern inside. And so I'm going to be attracting people who are abusing me the same way. So the work is to not talk to the other and say, hey, you should be behaving this way. Not at all. The work is to change this. Mm. So that now I'm no longer in this form. I'm in this form. And this could take the, you know, uh, it could be seen as a plant that is not doing well. I watered the plant, it stands up, feeling much, much better. And what is fascinating is then they go home nothing has ever been said and the parents behave differently because we we are energetic forms and so if i've changed my form the other will either say hey that doesn't work anymore i can't get in anymore because it doesn't work anymore so they go away or um, they shift enough to be able to have a relationship and so I've seen many of my students go home and report back that it was much easier. Mm. Everything had changed. Nothing was ever said, though. It was done on the inside with the inner looking and the inner gazing. Okay. And I think this gets to the uh, exercises in the book. And I, and I do want to go back to dreams uh, a little bit, too. Um, but it seems like what these exercises are, I don't think it's right to refer to them as visualizations. It seems rather that you're working with the imagination. Um, and, uh, is this, I think you refer to it as, is it the sapphire imagery? Yeah, I call it sapphire imagery. Um, there's a long history about that, but mainly what you want to do is knock the mental out of the way. Hmm. Because if not, the person will say, yeah, but my mom doesn't like me and my dad did this. We need to knock it out of the way so that we can look 
And what, what you look at inside? Well, it's all constricted around my heart. What color is it? Well, it's dark. Um, what is the image? They tell you the image, it's a cave, or what is the memory that comes out? And then we start dealing with that, mm. right? And as soon as that starts to be dealt with, and the images shift and change, that person shifts and changes emotionally also, mm. right? What I wanted to ask as a sort of follow-up, uh, especially for people who uh, read the book, and I highly encourage everyone to read the book, uh, if they want to work with these exercises, um, what would be the best way? Would it be to uh, maybe write out um, what they're imagining, or would it be to sit with eyes closed for a little bit? Um, well, one of the things to understand is that um, First, sapphire imagery is the jolt, mm. not the mental out of the way. It's a very, it could be very simple jolt and not the mental out so that I can truly see the, the imaginal pattern, right? Mm. And then the second part is I need to do the tikkun. Mm. I need to repair or respond to the necessity of the image. So a necessity is as simple as, well, the toilets are flooding, I need to turn the, the tap off, or I need to wash the bathroom, or I need to clean the table. It's the same as what we have here, right? In this everyday reality. But we do it with images. That is gonna change and shift the whole inner landscape. That's my personal tikkun, mm. my personal repair. <clears throat> and as I repair, the subconscious dialogues with me in a different way so that I grow my consciousness to super conscious, right? right. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a progression, it's a, it's a work. It, it, visualization is fine and, and indeed we can do that, especially for the body. See your leg getting longer, turning to light, blah, right? And that's very helpful because it reminds the body of how to work. But if you want to work with, you know, your psychology and its problems, you've got to get the mental out of the way to see the image. And the image may be a tree that's cut in two and it's uh, dying. So let's go and water the tree. You water the tree, suddenly it starts to flower again. That flowering, changes any, everything because the person's experienced it. Mm. And at that moment, something shifts emotionally. Right. Right? So the tikkun is very, very important. Um, eventually, hopefully, as we grow into the work, people will do um, what is called tikkun olam, which is a, a larger uh, repair of the world. So for example, this year, we're gonna be working on climate change, but not on climate change with outer action, on climate change with inner action. Mm -hmm. Because if my consciousness changes when I uh, see a lizard, I'm gonna be behaving differently towards lizards from there on. Right. right? Yeah. So 
that that would be a tikkun olam and each one of us has their own place their own mission uh, their own tikkun olam to do that's what the kabbalists say yeah and i think that's so very important and valuable um i always say that you know it's the hermetic idea of as above so below but i always kind of switch it to as within so without and that the ecological crises (laughs) that we're facing you know that is a manifestation of an inner sort of crisis and inner brokenness and so doing that inner work i think is incredibly valuable to fixing the outer world well i'm glad you say that because my whole premise my whole life is based on believing that that if i can help people to repair their inner world and return it to a lush garden Mm. then then that's going to repair the world and I am totally convinced of that, that the inner affects the outer. Now the outer affects the inner also. Sure. It goes back and forth, right? But it's a dialogue. Yeah. And, and we must engage in that dialogue. If not, um, if not, we, we would be doomed. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't believe we're going to be doomed. Uh, I hope not. I, I hope yeah. not. Um, it also is very refreshing this emphasis on imagination because i think that culturally we have devalued imagination in favor of the rational Um, but i always and rationality is important you even mentioned that rationality is incredibly important but that's not all there is and it seems like we're lopsided so part of this seems to be to restore a kind of balance. I think so. I mean, of course, in the 16th century, people's superstition had become crazy Mm. and and off balance. And it made total sense to return to observation and scientific facts. But we all know that facts are simply hypotheses. that appear okay for today, but maybe an Einstein will come in and say, well, sorry, the table may be hard here and solid, but it's in fact completely fluid mm. and an energetic form. So um, facts do change. What doesn't change is if you look inside, you'll see the truth right. always, right? Because it's a, a, an experience, mm. revelation. It's just the truth, right? If I look at the sunset, I'm not thinking of facts. I'm having an experience. Right. And that is true. Yeah. yeah. At once that experience of the, the, the beauty of it. I mean, you know, I've been blown away by several sunsets. And when I see that, it's this piercing beauty and truth of it. And I, on a conscious level, I'm like, well, yeah, it's the light refracting from this local star and everything, but that seems to rob it of its vitality. It does. You know, in the ancient tarot, especially the Marseille tarot, if you look at the the most ancient uh, cards, you've got the empress and the emperor, and they look at each other. The emperor is looking lovingly at the empress. 
Today, if you look at the Rider right Waite, which is a famous tarot uh, deck, the emperor is standing like a patriarch and the empress is doing something else right, and there's right. no connection. Right. Yeah, it's completely the, different settings. Completely. Um, now, yeah. the empress is really your subconscious mind. The creative bubbling, um, the incredible power of creativity, that's the empress. And the emperor looks at her with loving um, delight and he takes his cues from her and he goes out into the world and organizes the world according to the inner creativity of the empress. Yeah. So I feel strongly we have to do both. Mm. And, and I think we're coming there because people are, are seeing that, you know, the, the scientific community itself is getting closer and closer to the, to, to the mystical point of view, right? Quantum dreaming, I call it. Huh? Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's, um, I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but let's talk That's a little bit about dreaming. Um, because that is such a huge part of the book. I, it, it caught me a little bit by surprise uh, when I started reading it. I think about the first third of the book is about dreams uh, and dreaming. And um, one of the things that I liked, uh, there were a couple of things, uh, was one, you, 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 you say not to interpret the dreams, but to describe them. Yeah. And I think that the language you use is it, it's not about interpretation. It's about opening the dreams up. Yeah. Well, look, if you go to a movie, you're not sitting there analyzing the movie. You're experiencing the movie. Mm -hmm. A dream is the same. You're experiencing the dream. Now, if we walk out of the movie uh, house, you'll have... You'll say, oh, this is what struck me. And I'll say, well, this is what struck me. And somebody else will have a different opinion, right? Mm -hmm. and, and these are all true. So it's showing us many varied ways of looking, let's say, at the same question. So let's say the, the dreamer's basic question was, how do I get along with my mother? And then there are different variations Right, so each secondary dreamer of this dream is going to look at the dream a different way. This adds, you know, we're in such a polarized time where everything is black or white, mm. where we have lost layerings and points of views and many different possibilities. And we have to come back to that very, very quickly, or we're in real serious trouble, or we already are in very serious trouble, right? So, to me, it's an education in, in many layered, many splendid things that, that can be seen woven together to create uh, something beautiful, the Garden of Eden, if you want, right? So every dream can, can be seen in that fashion. Generally, a dream group, we have 10 to 14 people. And... Uh, it's amazing how different people see something. And then at the end, the original dreamer is asked, what resonates for you? Mm. And they'll tell you, this is what resonated for me. And we respect that totally. Mm. The other thing we do in the dream uh, groups is, is there a necessity to be dealt with in the dream? 
is there tikkun, is there correction? And so we suggested correction to the original dream. And so if someone wanted to correct something from a dream, is that when they would kind of just do that imaginally, um, kind of revisit the dream and make a change to it? This is a very old uh, uh, way that they do in the synagogues Mm. or they do with three three friends, right? Mm. It's called... Hatavat Chalom, right? The correction of the dream or turning it to the good. Mm. And so I'll tell you that I had a nightmare and you and your three friends are going to say, the dream is good. The dream will turn to the good. The dream is good. <laughs> That's what they do in the, in, in the they describe in the Talmud. Mm. But you can also do it by repairing the necessity of the dream Mm. right and the dream then turns towards a better uh, direction and it's completely organic so it's not something that you stick onto it so it'll feel good right right it's organic and that starts the dialogue with the inside because we have to remember we're dreaming all the time we're dreaming now are experiencing subconsciousness working all the time. So while I'm talking to you, I could be seeing something Mm. connected to you. I could be experiencing something of our conversation, right? And what it looks like. Right. So daytime vision and and dream, to me, they're all the same. It's the Mm. same world. Right. Yeah. And we exist in the dream field, right? We do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say, I really appreciated this idea of a company of dreamers and dream companion. Um, And that seemed very Kabbalistic to me um, because I think that's part of the tradition is that you have someone that you study with. Um, It's not something that you do on your own. And, you know, I forget the name of it. So I was just kind of referring to it as a spiritual partner. Uh, But I love that idea of having a community of fellow dreamers that you They're all over the world, um, you know, Mm -hmm. and they talk to each other. So somebody in Australia is talking to somebody in Israel and they are having conversations every day or every two days. I had a dream. What do you think? And Mm -hmm. so it's fun. Yeah, yeah. And what I found is that um, as soon as they start doing that inner gazing work together, whether it's in the night dream or or with the exercises in the daytime, they become fast friends Hmm. immediately. Right. And friends for life. I mean, I have students who've been with me for 25 years. So, um, and they've been close, close friends since. It's very powerful, the, you know, you know the, the world of dreaming. We can talk to each other through the dreaming. It's much more powerful than trying to sit around the kitchen table fighting. Right. Now, do you recommend a kind of, um, I guess the term I want to use is a kind of dream incubation, where if you've got something that you're struggling with and you have, maybe you have a conscious block to before going to bed, say, please give me a dream that will help me dissolve this block. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
And, and we, we actually do that. I train them in the dream groups to do the incubation. Mm. Um, whether it's a question that they have for themselves or simply I train them to be able to enter into the dream and become active in the dream, for example, mm. right? Just to be able to become more and more attuned to that language and to be alive with it, whether it's daytime or nighttime. So yeah, the incubation is very powerful. What is interesting about uh, the dream groups is, let's say some person comes and they've been exploring their relationship to the father. Next weeks, you've got five, six, seven, eight dreams with other dreamers exploring the relationships to the father. And then suddenly, it's like it, the door's closed, that's it. We've cleared this up and we move on to something else. So it's a real dialogue between the dreamers, right? That's really fascinating. It seemed to me, I, I don't want to use this term. I can't think of a better term right now, but it's almost like a contagion. Um, uh, or <laughs> maybe a better example is, you know, the... Yeah, I don't know a better word uh, than a contagion. happy contagion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking of like when someone yawns and then everyone else starts yawning. Uh, yeah, they just can't help it, you know. Um, yeah. And so I, I find that fascinating that a group of dreamers will start collectively dreaming about similar issues or themes. Um, when and not through. only in the dream group, but yeah. in the rest of the school. So I'll have a private with somebody who's going to bring me a dream on the father. Hmm. So it's the, the, the dream field of the school is quite, quite spread out. Wow. So do you, think, do you think people are tapping into that? There's oh, like yeah. consciousness for the school itself. And absolutely. Yeah. I do believe that. Yeah. And for, for the work, because right. I, you know, this is a work that's gone on for, more than 800 years. It's a methodology that's sure. very specific and clear and has results. So yeah, um, they speak to each other through the dream time and they call as soon as you've had, let's say, I have a dream about Nick tonight. I'm gonna to call you up and say, Nick, I had a dream about you. Right. And, and we check in, right? Yeah, and in the dream, like if you were to have a dream of just based on that example, let's say you had a dream of me, it would be me. It wouldn't be a symbol of me. No, no symbols in the inside. Okay. Doesn't exist. On the inside, it's all experience. Hmm. Now, if I take it out and then, uh, you know, I draw a flag, then the flag will be a symbol. Hmm. But there are no symbols on the inside. It's just experience. Okay. And form, form is important, you know, uh, um, a bowl or, or a basket hoop or, you know, they are, they are similar forms and they interrelate because of the form and the function of the form. But no, there are no symbols on the inside. Okay. All right. And you also said that every dream is concerned with now. It's not concerned with past, not really concerned so much with future, but is always dealing with the present moment. Yeah. Well, because there's no time in the dream time. It's all this vast magma, if you want. Okay. 
And, and now I have a question in my mind, let's say uh, I have a problem with this person. That's the question, boom. It goes into the magma and the magma appears and configures and gives me an answer. Mm. And that's now. Now it could give me an answer in, in 10 days time, but it's still given it to me now because in the dream time, it's, it's the whole universe is the dream time, both in time and in space. It's really quantum dreaming, if you want. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that quite a bit. Um, so uh, one of the last things I wanted to ask you is I wanted to make sure that I was reading something correctly um, sure. because one of the, and I forgive me um, if I'm not using the correct terminology here, um, but you've got this like, metaphor and this may be what you disagree with this metaphor of returning to eden uh but there's also what you refer to as ra uh, raising the leviathan right and what was interesting to me is that in my readings i always read leviathan as fairly negative yeah but it doesn't but seem like you are reading it that way uh rather that raising the leviathan is something that is quite positive well yes if it's risen but the leviathan is a let's say a metaphor for the subconscious mm. so the great beast of the subconscious that's there and if i don't deal with it it's it moves all over the place it creates a lot of disturbance and angers and fears and violence and all all the evils that we know right when I start to really um, connect with the Leviathan, um, that is I'm connecting with my subconscious, I'm starting to clear it and clean and so forth. When finally I am able to bring all the energies together, the subconscious rises like a great fountain or, or like the Leviathan rising up into, into a vertical. Right. So if you think of it as a fountain of creativity, that's that's also the Leviathan, right? Once I've cleaned my subconscious, it starts to produce creative solutions. All I have to do is ask. What do I do? Uh, the, the, the plane has been canceled. What do I do? Puff, I have an image. And the lady behind the desk comes out and takes my hand and takes me to another plane. Mm. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Because it happens. Yeah. Right? So there's a cre creative flow inside that I call raising the Leviathan. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like it is tapping into that flow of the river out of Eden, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's placing us where we need to be now at the exact moment now and giving us the answer to what we need to say. And it seems like there's a element of trust that is required here too, that we have to trust these images that come to us. Totally. And that's the work, right? Yeah. So that's why many of the students are, we're trained in sapphire imagery. So they have a class called imagery class 
where I take a subject matter, let's say ecology, and I write exercises and they do 10 exercises, 12 exercises, 14 during the class. And it's like an aerobics of the soul. Okay, I put you in this situation, what happens? I put you in this situation, what happens? You're confronted with uh, 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 a dangerous Leviathan. What, what do you do, mm. right? So there are short inductions that, that activates the subconscious until it's second nature to simply do it. Mm. If you're attacked by somebody in the street, um, boom, your whole inner body and subconscious will find a way through. Right? So it's, it's like you train a, a body in, in martial arts. They've, they've been trained again and again to these movements. So when somebody attacks them, the body does it. They don't think. The mind is out of the way. And the subconscious answers and is always precisely, specifically um, correct. So the great um, uh, martial arts uh, masters, and I've met a few of them in Japan, are like that. And they teach dreaming. So we sat down and discussed dreaming together <laughs> because, and we had exactly the same structure. The only thing is that they work directly with the body and martial arts, and I work uh, directly with the dreams and, and their, uh, the psychological level. I work with the body too, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I am so grateful for the work that you do. We definitely need more dreamers, I think. Um, sometimes it feels like they are in short supply. <laughs> but think, everybody dreams. So there's, there's a possibility yeah, there, right? Yeah. Well, and we, but we discount them. You know, I think that we're often we told it's just garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Um, and I think in some aspects, that's true in my own dreams, that it is just a processing of a day's events. But I, I do know from personal experience that there's so much more to them. Um, that they are an incredible source of wisdom. They are the source of wisdom, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But they are really two great roads to enlightenment. Mm. And one is uh, mental, like a Zen Buddhism, for example, and the other is really Tibetan Buddhism, which is through the images, through the farthest of images, right? Right. And um, and I think I think here in Kabbalah, it's through the farthest of images hmm. that that we work, right? Right. Well, I know that we are pretty much out of time, uh, but I have two final questions for you. Um, okay. Uh, one is what's coming up next for you? What are you going to be working <laughs> on next? Oh, that's difficult. Um, I've been, I have taught for years something called morphology, which is a science of forms. It's an ancient practice that was taught to initiates, um, certainly in the Kabbalah. And of course, also with the Greeks and the uh, um, Fatima had 12 uh, disciples and each one had a different form. So form has a function. So um, let's say a bowl has a function. 
a line will cut through and we can read a person's energetic form by simply looking at their face and their bodies. This is helpful for the practitioners. Mm. It's helpful also to simply understand another. So if I enter into a very narrow, tall form or into a large form, I'm in, in, in a body or in a form that, is, that it has different meaning. If I'm in a round room, it's, I'm gonna feel different than if I'm in a square room, right? So I teach them that to, to really learn incredible respect for other people's forms and configurations and needs and, and talents because you can read all of that in the shape of a person. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna be writing a book on the Greeks because the Greeks have the most uh, uh, myth around these forms. And that's what's used, for example, in astrology. And, mm -hmm. right? They talk about the sun type, Mercury type, Venus type. But I want to talk about it in terms of embodiment myth and how myth works. Okay. How dream, dream, myth, it's all the same thing, right? Right, right. Right. Yeah. I will look forward to that. Um, <laughs> and uh, the final question is, uh, where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Well, on the website, there's actually a new website coming up. It should be up on Friday. It's very exciting. Okay. Well, we are Friday. It should, tomorrow. It should be up yeah, tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. School of Images or the School of Images. Okay. The School of Images.com? Dot org. Oh, dot org. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes in the video description on YouTube. Thank you so um, much. Yeah. And I'll also put uh, links to your book. Is the book uh, out now? Yeah. Okay. It's uh, out and the audio and Kindle are coming out on the 25th. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, wonderful. All right. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, it was a great pleasure to speak with you. Um, and I am thank very you. grateful. Thank you so much, Nick, for having me on, <laughs> for letting me just ramble on. Oh, th there was no rambling. You were always <laughs> on point and answering the questions that were asked. <laughs> thank so, you. <laughs> so I, I am sure that my audience will find it very, very valuable. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And that's a wrap on episode 45 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you have a minute to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review and please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel if you've not already done so. Also, make sure to hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. Also, if you have a friend or family member that you think would like this podcast, please share it with them. Right now, that's one of the best ways to help me with the podcast. I do have a PayPal link set up, so if you would like to make a one-time donation, and hey, you can be the very first person to do so, 
Uh, you can find the link for that in the show notes or video description. Uh, I'm also going to be launching a Patreon within the next few months, so stay with me and I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, I have big plans for Rebel Spirit beyond the podcast. I do want to create more video content for the YouTube channel, and I'm planning some live stream episodes. The first will be with returning guest Dr. Sharon Kogan, where she will offer a Jungian analysis uh, interpretation of dreams for participants. We're still working on scheduling this, but it will likely be sometime in September. Now, all of this takes a lot of time and effort. Right now, I spend approximately 15 to 20 hours every week per podcast episode. Many of the people I've interviewed have said they appreciate that I have clearly read their books and can engage with them on a deeper level um, than other podcast hosts. And I hope my audience also appreciates this. While I love doing this, and I hope I am constantly improving as a host, some support would really be helpful. So be sure to follow Rebel Spirit Radio on Facebook and or sign up for the uh, newsletter at rebelspiritradio.com. That is the best way to stay informed uh, for all future live events and everything I have planned for Rebel Spirit Radio. Uh, Again, implementing all of this is going to take time and resources, so anything you can do to help with that will be greatly appreciated. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your Rebel Spirit.